0: to do today is to uh, continue uh,
1: the series that we began some three weeks ago. We began a series here entitled In the Beginning, Uh, and uh, we did that and we decided to continue to do that and do that uh, because this is a new beginning for for us. This is a new beginning, and uh, since that's the case and we're attempting then in the beginning of what we're doing to lay A foundation, a foundation that will help us better understand who we are, uh, who we hope to be, where we hope to go, where we eventually, God will allow us to become our vision and our purpose for what we're doing. And So we said that to do that, we're going to talk about laying the foundation. Uh, And so then we decided to accomplish this, that we would talk about and look at uh, each Sunday, one of our six core values that we have been been operating under since the very beginning. So each Sunday for the last three weeks and then continuing today, we've looked at one of those six core values. Three weeks ago, we talked about the core value that says we believe that worship is a lifestyle. And when we did that, we used an illustration from Scripture of Abraham and how God called him to sacrifice his son. The Bible says his only son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah, And we said that Abraham, not we said, but scripture says that as Abraham left to go and to do that, he told the men that had accompanied him to the mountain, he said, stay here. Me and the boy are going to worship. And so for that, we said that that means that as we looked at Abraham's life and his history up to that point, it means that his life, not just that moment, but his life was a lifestyle of worship. Then we, two weeks ago, we looked at our value that says we love God. By loving his people. To illustrate that, we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and how that all played out and how we see God's perfect picture of love and compassion for our neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan. We believe here at Bethel hope that we must, the only way to love God is by loving his people. It says, uh, so we believe that, that we, if we say we love God but we don't love our neighbor, then we're not being truthful. We're not being genuine. We have to have love and compassion for our neighbor. So we love God by loving his people. Then last week, we looked at our core value that says we believe that God's word is essential. And to illustrate that, we went to Paul's second letter to Timothy, and where he breaks down uh, all scripture and talks about its purpose uh, and how impactful it had been in Timothy's life, and that the only way to endure the difficult days ahead is the same for us. The only way to endure... And to make it through the difficult days that lie ahead is through the scriptures and to hold fast to that. And so today I'd like to unpack our next core value that says this. We are committed to going. It used to stop there. but I decided to add another word to the end of that. We are committed not just to going, but to going and doing. And I'm going to tell you, talk more about the reason why I decided to add that word in just a moment. But that's what we're going to discuss today. We are committed to going and doing. Uh, I do believe, just as in the other cases, as we looked at the other core values, I do believe that there is a relevant and well-known passage of Scripture that will serve to help us to better understand this particular core value. Uh, I'd like to call your attention to the gospel of St. Matthew, 28th chapter. I'm going to read for you verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, when you get there, or even by me saying it, you already know uh, what that passage is. But when you get, if you don't recognize it now, when you get there, certainly you'll recognize, or if you, once you look at it on the screen, you'll recognize a very familiar passage of scripture, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, we're going to read for your hearing today. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it reads this way. The uh, ESV version renders it this way. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain uh, to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. At this point in Matthew's gospel, there are some very significant events uh, in the not so distant past that are in the rearview mirror. Some very significant events have happened that are now in the rearview mirror but they didn't happen long ago. Uh, the last supper has recently happened. It's in the rearview mirror at this point. Jesus calls the disciples together and they come together to celebrate the Passover and they have what we know today as the last supper. They gather around the table. Jesus blesses them and with, with what we now uh, do uh, recognize and observe his communion. He says, take this bread, break it and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. This cup is a new testament in my blood. They gather and they have the last supper. That is now in the recent past. Judas's betrayal. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver uh, to the scribes, to the Pharisees. He sells Jesus out for 30 pieces. That is now in the rearview mirror. That has recently happened. Jesus is uh, entry into and arrest in the garden of Gethsemane. He, You remember the story? He enters into the garden and he begins to pray and he asks God, he says, if there is another way, allow this cup to pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He asks his disciples to watch and pray and they fall asleep. Jesus goes to his father and prays. And as after he prays, Judas leads the enemy, to the garden. They make their way to the garden and when they get to the garden, you know old crazy Peter pulls his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of of the ones who come to take Jesus and Jesus says, put that down. Jesus repairs what has been done and he says, don't you realize that I could have called 12 legions of angels to come if I desired to? If you live by the sword, Peter, you shall Die by the sword. That is now in the rearview mirror. The, then they go from there and they take Jesus and they put him on trial. He stands on trial before Caiaphas, Annas, the high priest, and the others, and they charge him with charges and they convict him, and he's found guilty of these trumped up charges. That's in the rearview mirror now. Also, in the rearview mirror is the fact that. Peter is seen outside of the judgment hall. Somebody says to Peter, Peter, we recognize you, you were with him. And not only, we, we, we find out then that not only is Peter crazy, Peter also cusses. He's a cusser. He'll cut you and he'll cuss you. <laughs> He, so he says, he says, no, no, you're mistaken. I wasn't with him. I don't even know him. Somebody else says, yes, you you were with him, and he says, no, no, you must be mistaken. Then the third person says, yeah, 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 I know you, you with him. He cusses that person out. Oh, that's in the rearview mirror now. Then Jesus is handed over to Pilate, and Pilate says, there is uh, an opportunity that we have that I will make you. An offer that uh, I will present to you: the two two prisoners, and you, the Jewish people, you decide who you would want me to release. And they say, "Release Barabbas and crucify Jesus." That's in the rearview mirror now. That has just recently happened. Then as he is convicted and found guilty, Jesus then is sent to Calvary and and made to bear and carry his own cross until someone from the crowd is called to bear it the rest of the way. And he finds his way, he makes his way to Calvary, and then the barbaric and cruel events of Calvary take place. All of that's in the rearview mirror. You remember what happens on Calvary. Jesus says seven things. As he's on the cross, uh, I'm not going to say all of them, but there are a couple of things that stand out to me. One of the things is Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's saying things to the crowd and the crowd overhears him. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and they think he's calling Elijah. But what he's saying is, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken? Then as he draws draws closer to the end of this ordeal, he utters those famous last words. We talked about last words last week. These are the most famous last words in all of history. Jesus says this is important to us. This ought to make somebody say something, wave a hand, or shout, or say amen, or something. Jesus says from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Good Friday is in the rearview mirror. I always like to say Good Friday didn't really feel that good on Good Friday. Because it was on Good Friday that Jesus is crucified on an old rugged cross. But if I was in the church I grew up in, they would remind you right along in here, the pastor with Chris laughing because he know what I'm getting ready to say. They would remind you that at some point, Good Friday gave way to Easter morning. And so they would remind everybody that gathers in the congregation that he died one Friday. They laid him in a borrowed tomb. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hand. That's in the rearview mirror. Now, Easter Sunday is now... In the rearview mirror. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James, encounter the risen Jesus. As they go to the tomb, and they make their way from the tomb, they encounter, as all of this stuff has now happened, and Jesus has been laid in this borrowed tomb. They, they go early that morning, and they look for Jesus, and he's no longer there. Tomb is empty. That's another shout. Y'all missed it tomb is empty. They encounter him as they're leaving the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus instructs them when he sees them to go and tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. He wants to meet them. He wants to gather with them. Meet me. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. Listen, how excited Mary and Mary must have been to have seen and talked to the risen Christ. Can you imagine? They went there thinking that they were going to to, to, to see his, his body, that he would still be there. But as they go, they are pleasantly surprised and overwhelmed that he's no longer there. But not only that, they have a chance to talk to him. He is And they are overwhelmed with excitement. They are overflowing with joy, overwhelmed with excitement, so much so that they convinced these frightened and bewildered, those who had abandoned Jesus' disciples to go to some unnamed mountain in Galilee and wait for Jesus. Can you imagine? How much, how convincing would you have to be? These guys had tucked tail and ran, most of them. Most of them had abandoned Jesus. Most of them were afraid, bewildered, and confused because the master was no longer with them. And so here these two ladies come and they say to them, we have seen Jesus. He's risen. What would your response be? you would be like, you're lying. I don't believe you. I want you to imagine for a moment how excited and convincing these two women must have been that they convinced these men who had been coward and abandoned Jesus and ran, confused, afraid. How? Overwhelmed with excitement. They have to be. To convince this group. To go to Galilee. Some mountain. And wait for Jesus. It's, 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 listen. Here, here it is. When you encounter Jesus. You never. Leave. The same way. That you were before you met him. You're always different. a feeling of excitement and joy and I don't know about you but when I met Jesus for the first time if I had run into you that same day I could have convinced you of anything about him because I was just beaming and glowing with excitement about my Savior because he rescued me you couldn't tell and you still can't today you can't tell me nothing about Jesus. So they were they were excited and they convinced these guys to go. And you know what? Lo and behold, as they arrive at the mountain, lo and behold, he actually shows up. And the immediate response by most of them is of course worship. We talk about worship as a lifestyle. When they saw jesus they began to worship can, i mean can you imagine what he said was going to happen has now actually happened he promised us this robert he said uh I, I, if they destroyed this temple in three days i'll raise it again he he warned them that he was going to be crucified Dead, buried, but he said, I am going to come back to be with you. And they get to the mountain, not really sure if these crazy ladies have led them on a wild goose chase. They make their way to Galilee, to this mountain, and when they get there, Jesus actually shows up. Can you just see what kind of worship was going on on the mountain in Galilee on that day? I they weren't quiet. I bet they were shouting and jumping and leaping. But, watch this, some of them doubted. There was a part of the group, one verse says hesitated. They weren't quite sure if, if this was really Jesus, what was going on. They, part, part of them said, yeah, I see you, but this still can't be true. Oftentimes we do the same thing. Jesus shows up and we're still hesitating. We're still hesitating and we're not giving ourselves fully in worship to Jesus, even in his presence. So some hesitated. Then in verse 18, Jesus speaks to them and basically says, guys, now this is not what he said. This is the Ricky version. Don't be leaving here saying, now he just butchered that. That's not what Jesus said. I'm going to tell you in a minute what he really said, but this is my version. He says to them in my mind, guys, everything has changed. He says, things are not like they were when you last saw me. You know why? Because all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now everything has changed. All authority has been given to me. He is no longer like he was when they saw him last. He's no longer the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53. That's not him anymore. No, he's no longer that. But now he's rather the king of kings and the lord of lords with supreme authority throughout the entire universe with absolutely no limitations. He's not like he was... When they saw him hanging on the cross. He's different now. He says, All authority has been given to me. Then we arrive at verses 19 and 20. It's where we've been trying to get to for a few minutes, but we're here now. Verses nineteen and twenty. We now uh we know this passage, nineteen and twenty as the great commission. Uh, It draws its name from the fact that Jesus commissions his remaining remaining disciples to carry out a specific work. At first glance, it would seem that the work he's commissioning them to is to go. Look at it first, you just take a glance at it, it seems like what he's saying to them is go. That seems to be the work, but to steal a line from the NFL, upon further review, we discover that in the original language, go is not the main verb, which is the reason why I added that word at the end of our core value. The great commission is not simply a commission to go, but rather it is a commission to do. It's a commission to do. That's what it is. Uh, The translation a goal here is literally as you go, as you go, as you are living your life. So can I pause here and just encourage you with something? By all means. So Jesus says, as you go, right? By all means, be active. By all means, live life. Don't just sit on the sidelines of life. Engage in life. Uh, encounter life. Explore things about life. Don't just be uh, a couch potato. Right? Jesus says, as you go. Jesus is implying and, and, and assuming that all of us are going. Right? So he says, as you go. uh do he's assuming that we're already going he's assuming that we're already living that we're already engaging that we're already exploring so he says as you go do as you're already living you're already doing life then do I think as we examine the Great Commission I think it helps us and it answers four critical questions Great Commission does First question I believe it, ans- it asks and helps us to answer is, if Jesus says go and do, first question is, what shall we do? What should we go and do? Right? What is it that we should go and do? Um, so since go is not the main verb, let me share with you what the main verb of this passage is. The main verb uh, and the lone command in the Great Commission is this, make disciples make disciples. So Jesus says, go and do. Do what? Go and make disciples. As you go, he says, share the love of Christ. As you live your life, as you engage in the culture, as You go out into the community as you go to work, as you go to school, as you do life, as you go to restaurants, as you go to to concerts and to to all zone vacation and all of that. Share the love of Christ. Disciple people, right? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about making disciples and what that means. Uh, To be a disciple means much more than just a casual Relationship. It even means much more than being just a follower. You know, we talk about following nowadays. We are reminded of things like Facebook. As you know, you do know that you can follow somebody on Facebook, right? And if you follow somebody on Facebook, uh, all that means is that you are a kept, you are kept apprised of their lives. There's a lot of folks that are following you that are not your friends. They just want to see what you're doing. They don't want you to know that you that they're watching you, but they're following you, right? They just, they they want to follow you in secret, so they can be nosy about what you're doing in your life. But they don't want to they don't want the word to get out that they're there. So 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 you can follow somebody and choose, and, and, and you'll be made aware of their activities and their beliefs and all of that what's going on in their lives, but you choose whether or not to be influenced by them or to make life choices based on them. You can follow from a distance, right? That's not what Jesus is telling you. Not necessarily only talking about being a, being a follower. A disciple relationship is much deeper than just being a follower. A disciple is wholeheartedly committed to a person. That's what a disciple wholeheartedly committed. They have placed complete trust and faith in that person and they are committed to learn from that person. That's what a disciple is. Disciples of Jesus also realize the weight of a relationship where the leader has given his life as a ransom for them. As disciples, we can't help but think about Jesus sacrificed his life. It's much more than just being a friend or a father. Uh, this is what a disciple is, close relationship, someone who follows but then engages and makes choices based on the direction of the person that they'll follow and obey the commands. So this is what a disciple is. And Jesus says to them and to us, go and make them. Make disciples, he says. Uh, so then, the question is, how is that to be done? How do we, how do we, just normal folks, how do we human beings? have a hand in making, and understand this, you only have a hand in it. You, it's not your responsibility to make a disciple. Jesus says, I'll do the heavy lifting, but you do have a role to play in making disciples. So then what is our role? It is in the text. I'm not making this up. It's here. This is what it says. It says, "Then, uh, it been, so if the main verb is make disciples, the the participles of this text are baptizing them, in verse 19, and teaching them right? That's that's, that's how we do it, right? So let's talk about that. Uh, First of all, let's talk about baptizing them. Uh, Just briefly, I want to talk real quick about baptism. Because Jesus says baptizing them, doesn't he? He says that's part of how we make disciples. So baptism and communion are the two ordinances uh, uh, that the Lord commands the church to observe. Baptism is neither required for salvation, nor does it save but it is an outward expression of what has taken place in one's heart. Here at Bethel, we believe that baptism is the sign of the new covenant and that it represents one's public identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. While baptism is not required for salvation or for membership at Bethel, we strongly encourage everyone to follow the Lord's example in the baptism. So he says, go make disciples baptizing them so that when they have made a decision in their hearts in private that that expression will be expressed openly in public through baptism but then he says also teaching them so then baptism is not the end but rather it is the beginning the new disciple is to ideally be baptized ideally but then also to be taught to to observe all things I have commanded you. Jesus says they must be taught. It's what Paul refers to in 2 Timothy three fourteen when he says, but as for you continue in what you have learned, talking to Timothy, and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. There must be a process of teaching and of learning for the disciple. Making reference to Uh, how he was influenced by his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Paul says, you've learned these things through them and through me. Uh, It's also what Paul uh, is talking about when he says that. But then also, uh, we have to understand uh, that making disciples means that that we baptize them according to their profession of faith, that we teach them according to the scriptures and according to what God would have them to know. Uh, But then there's something else. How do we make, there's another, another level of how we make disciples. And this one is not noted here, but it is noted in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 9, and Mark 6. Because in those passages, Jesus, as he's preparing to send the 12 out, says something to them. In all three of those passages, he says this. He says, take nothing for your journey. And if we're going to effectively witness and make disciples, we have to follow those same command, that same command. We can take nothing. He says, don't take shoes. Don't take an extra coat. Don't take money. Don't take food, any bread, anything. Don't take anything for your journey. For us, I think that means something a little bit different. I think for us, it means when we go into all the world and attempt to witness of the goodness of Jesus, there's some things that we ought not take. Y'all want to hear? Don't take your ID. Don't take your plans. You know why? Because they're yours. <laughs> Jesus not in not interested in us taking our plans, our ideas, our 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 whatever it is on this journey. Leave that behind. Also, uh, we, we don't want to take that. We don't want to take with us on this journey uh our biases, our prejudices. Our fears, our ego, our negative people—take nothing, because all of those things can destroy what Jesus is trying to do through you. So, first question is, what should we go and do? Next question is, where should we go and do? It's in verse. It's in verse 19, he says, "The where is to all nations." He says, all races, all ethnicities, all over the world, near and far, this commission is for them. Nobody is excluded from this this commission. It was for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles everywhere. Jesus, uh, if you remember, reiterates this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So often we think of missions. When we think of missions, we think we must get on an airplane and travel somewhere to do missions. Uh, There certainly is a need for that. Global missions is important. But Jesus says it needs to start in Jerusalem. In close proximity, we met Saturday at the men and we decided that starting once a quarter, we're going to go out and do something in the community together. Right here in Jerusalem. And then when we when we understand how to impact Jerusalem, then we can launch out to Samaria, to Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have to have compassion and love for our neighbor first. Love your neighbor as yourself and then as we practice that, we can go to Africa. As we practice that, we can go. To, I just went to Greece this past summer and it was beautiful. And I mean, this past fall, we, you can go there and you can take what you've been practicing at home and share it with others somewhere else. Jesus says the where is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So the disciples took this strategy to heart and worse, and they were so effective with this strategy that in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, they are accused of turning the whole world upside down. So what should we go and do? Where should we go and do? But then third question is, why should we go and do? I want to read to you something real quickly that's taken directly from our doctrinal statement here at Bethel. It says this, We believe that it is the explicit message of our Lord Jesus Christ to those who... uh, to those whom he has saved, that they are sent forth by him into all the world, even as he was sent forth of his father into the world. We believe that after they are saved, they are divinely reckoned to be related to this world as strangers and pilgrims, ambassadors and witnesses, and that one of the primary purposes in life should be to make Christ known to the whole world. We believe that God has given the church a great commission to proclaim the gospel to all nations, so that there might be a great multitude from every nation, tribe, ethnic group, and language who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As ambassadors of Christ, we must use all available means to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. He says, since we have been reconciled to God through Christ, that we now have the ministry or the responsibility of reconciliation. And as such, we should be ambassadors of Christ. So let me share some quick numbers with you. There are 330 million people in the United States and almost 8 billion people in the world. As of 2015, 75% or around 245 million in the United States identify as Christian, some form of fashion. That's Protestants, Catholics, all included in that. And by the way, that number is down from 85% in the 90s, so we are losing ground, it's now said. Which, this means, though, that there are almost 100 million people in the United States uh, who don't know Jesus just here in our country. Worldwide, Christians make up 31% of the overall population, or about 2.3 billion people, which means that there are almost 6
0: billion people
1: we don't know jesus we're talking about why don't we do it, right because we think hey you know the gospel has already been preached what what do we need to do let me share this with you why should we go and do because the harvest is still plentiful. there's still many that live next door to you that work with you that 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 you see every day that need to know about jesus so, why should we go and do? Where should we go and do? Why uh, should we go and do? What should we go and do? Those are the questions. Last one is this: must we go alone? Verse 20 helps us with this. Verse 20 of our text in the last part of verse 20, it says this. I am with
0: you always to the end of the age. The answer is: we don't have to go this alone. Because Jesus is with us. Jesus. Jesus doesn't
1: expect us to accomplish this great commission uh, alone uh, in our own power. He concludes the great commission with the promise of the great companion. Not a great companion, but the great companion. He is the great companion. And he says, I will be with you always. The actual commission in verse 19 is sandwiched between two verses. Verse 18 and 20, uh, these two verses assure us that the promises of his power and his presence will always be with us. He has all authority
0: and he is permanently with us even until the end of the world. I know that you're used to me closing with a story. and I know some of y'all are probably looking forward to me. Some of y'all are probably looking forward to me just shutting up.
1: I got a few more things to say and then I am going to shut up. So rather than closing with a story, I thought I'd close with some scripture. Some scripture that helps us to understand uh, the, the fact that Jesus is always with us. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, he's always there with us. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1.9, uh, God says to Joshua, have not I commended you be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 43 and 2, I love this one. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. And then all of us learned this one in Sunday school. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I just want you to know as I prepare to sit down that Jesus is always present with you, you are never, ever, ever alone. I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. The songwriter says it this way. He walks with me. And he talks with me. And he reminds me. And tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share. As we tarry. None other. Is ever known. Jesus.
0: will always the present. Let's pray. Lord we thank you. For your power. Presence for your love. Help us, Lord, to recognize and realize and commit ourselves to your great commission, knowing that the harvest is still plenty.
1: The laborers are few. Help us and send us as laborers into the harvest field. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We'd like to extend now an invitation to anyone who may be here who has a desire to know the Lord as Savior, as Lord. If you're here and you've never done that, let me say there is no better time than right now. We want to open the opportunity for an invitation. Jesus says, go and make disciples so we want to extend the invitation to Christian discipleship, to anybody that may be here that has a desire to come. If you have
0: that desire, you can come. Take these hands lift them up I have not the strength to praise you near enough I have nothing I have nothing without Take my voice and pour it out let it sing the songs of mercy I have found. For I have nothing. And I have nothing without you. Oh, all my soul needs all your Cover me so all the world can see that I have nothing without you. dismissed, I'm going to offer the benediction, and after that we will be dismissed. Again, I want to say thank you to all you who are here with us today, as guests, and those of you who have been with us before. we believe that God is doing something special. Why he decided that I would be the one that was staying. I am just still in awe of why he decided to do that. But I can't worry about that. All I can do is say, like I, like Isaiah said. Oh, Lord, let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your Word, This lamp to our feet, a light to our feet. Thank you, Lord, for your commission for all of the many millions and billions of people.